A dozen former members of Parliament have told us about the highs and lows of being an MP in Canada's House of Commons. We've heard about their passion for politics, and we've heard about sacrifices, like working around the clock, online abuse, even death threats, giving their all to the job for years, sometimes decades. So what happens when it's over? Ideally, MPs leaving office would pass on what they've learned to the next generation of parliamentarians, a handover of not just power, but knowledge. We don't want MPs to simply walk away without giving us a chance to learn from them. As we've heard, they have important insights that can help us transform Canadian politics and strengthen our democracy. That's what inspired us to talk to former MPs in the first place, to start the Samara Centre's MP Exit Interview Project, which this podcast is a part of. We've heard how tough it can be to find your footing as a new MP, but today we're asking, what is it really like for an MP when they leave office? And before we get big picture, we're going to get very personal. I'm Sabrina Dellen, and you're listening to Humans of the House. Of the dozen MPs featured in this show, there are three ways they left office. One way, by resigning from the job. That usually triggers a by-election, which means there's a vote for a new representative in the riding, even though there isn't a larger general election. Or you might leave by announcing you won't run again. So you perform your duties until the election is called. The third way, you run and lose. What does that feel like? Awful. It was awful. And I get to say that because it, it's the biggest defeat that I ever had in my life, right? The biggest letdown. If I reflect on some of the stuff we've talked about, I kind of built an identity for myself leading into politics and in politics that was Matt DeCourcy, this, you know, the member of parliament for Fredericton. And I, I adopted that identity and it was more than a job to me. It was a lifestyle. It was who I was. Um, so I felt really lost. I felt really, really lost. With experience in advocacy and as a political staffer on the Hill, Matt DeCourcy was elected as a Liberal in 2015. He ran again in 2019 and lost. His riding of Fredericton had always gone Liberal or Conservative, but for the first time, voters chose a Green Party candidate. And Matt's time as an MP was over. Don't know that I was felt let down by the community. I think I just more felt lost and didn't know how to how to react to the way I felt about the community. And I think a lot of other politicians will say this because it's the reality, but it's also like the last thing you want to hear if you're defeated is that look, it's nothing personal. It's not personal. <laughs> For many folks in office, it becomes a deeply personal activity. And so it is deeply personal to the person losing and folks who aren't in that world couldn't understand and the voters not making 
a lot of decisions based on you, the person. They're making all kinds of other decisions, and it takes a while to be comfortable with that, even if, if I'll never accept that it's not personal, because for me, it's very personal. And I think if you ask a lot of other people, they would say the same thing. But I lost, you know, in October of 2019, and then we go into COVID, and I'll say two things. When COVID hit and we were told to go hide, I was like, oh my God, I get to go hide from the world for three weeks, three months. Perfect. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get dressed in the morning. This is perfect. And then it really, as it went on, it really started to take a toll on my mental health. Um, Well, how did you cope? Because you've talked about how there's a, a big shift in your identity were there supports made available to you? So the, the short answer, I, don't, I didn't really cope all that well. And for a long time, I was pretty, pretty down. There are some supports currently available to members transitioning out of office. We, we had access to, you know, a family resource plan and, and a number we could call. But I was not interested in doing that at the time. And I'm really not interested in calling some random person and talking about things you know i've i've since been like all right now it's time to talk to somebody and i want to talk to somebody i know and trust in my community and that's been really helpful for me like over the last year to to have that sort of therapy and that reflection looking back what does matt wish he'd heard when leaving this support will be there for you at the time and in the way that you need it MPs told us about different coping strategies. It was really hard emotionally. And so thank goodness that there's so much that has to be done. That's Cheryl Hardcastle, who was an NDP MP for Windsor-Tecumseh. Packing up takes work. It keeps you busy. And that is like a coping strategy for me that really helped me. You have like practical things like empty the office and close it down. You have 31 days to do all that. You have somebody that reaches out to you in that bureaucratic support system in the House of Commons that says, I need you, I need your laptop by this date, I need this. It's very physical, it keeps you busy. Like Matt DeCourcy, Cheryl won her riding in 2015 and lost in 2019. Remember when Matt said people would say, don't take it personally? Easier said than done. I really did take it. Personally, it was very close. Cheryl lost her seat by 629 votes, and the writing went liberal. I felt like I was doing such a great job and that it was a loss for the community to move from NDP. And I felt like there must be, okay, there's light at the end of the tunnel, but I'm in this tunnel right now. Yeah, so that part was tough. People give you condolences, but also, like I had to stay off of social media because you have like people who consider themselves pundits slamming you or saying you you weren't there for them or whatever it is. It does bother you because you know the real thing. And I put it in my newsletter. I had a telephone town hall. (laughs) Social media and online comments, as we know, can feel like a one-way conversation. And, oh, you're just a whiner, and that's what democracy is like. So you just, okay, I'm going to just be quiet and sort through this myself, because I don't want to be that way. Sort through this myself. It's lonely to lose. 
and you never know what's going on in someone's private life at the time. Here's James Cumming, former Conservative MP for Edmonton Centre. He became MP in 2019 and lost his bid for re-election two years later in 2021. Well, yeah, that was quite a year. Well, firstly, there was a snap election. He didn't get to serve a full term, and for whatever reason, the government of the day thought that they had to call an election in a pandemic. But it is what it is. They decided to do that. For me, it was a, a pretty tough period of time because, A, we had gone through a leadership change. So the party and my colleagues, we had to spend a bunch of time with that and had a new leader in place. You go into an election and you, and you fight hard. And then in my personal circumstances, I had lost my son during that period of time. James Cummings' son, Garrett, died at 35 years old. He was very politically minded. He also had Duchenne muscular dystrophy, so it limited his ability to do some of the things that potentially he wanted to do. Garrett was a big motivation for James to go into politics in the first place. I thought Garrett would have, you know, a front row seat of seeing how it works and be able to see through my efforts what we can do with public policy. James lost by only 600 votes. I went into more of a period of reflection because, you know, I really didn't have a, have a chance to take my foot off the gas. I'm as competitive as anybody could be, I think, uh, just my nature. But I'm pretty accepting when something doesn't go my way. And then you start to chart your course. Well, what's next? Uh, and that really was my focus after that. Well, in these conversations, mental health and wellness has come up quite a bit. And I'm wondering what you were able to do to look after yourself during such a, a difficult period. And I also want to say I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, that's a hard question to answer because I don't, I don't think that through that period of time, I managed as well as I could. The combination of all those things together is probably more of an issue than any one on its own. So if it's just losing an election, I can tell you I can get over that pretty quick. I respect the voters and I respect that they make those choices. Uh, but when you combine a bunch of things, that, that is more difficult. Throw some COVID into the mix and, you know, it was a tough period. But, um, you know, you, uh, I'm not afraid to say that if you seek out help and there's, there's folks that can help you with strategies on how you manage through that. And that's what I did. Seek out help. That sounds not only smart, but necessary. What kind of help is available to MPs who are leaving their jobs? In our survey of former MPs, we heard a few things. You lose your sense of purpose very quickly. You go from not being able to keep up with your messages and calls to nobody returning your messages and calls overnight. Once you're gone, you're invisible to the party. Treat it like grief. Offer in-person counseling, not just virtual. Connect us with former parliamentarians who've been there perhaps as transition buddies, so we are not alone. Those early tender days, it's good to see, hear, and believe that there is life after politics. On the other hand, a number of MPs felt they had good support and help from House of Commons staff. Lisa Raitt was a Conservative MP for Milton, Ontario. 
She served in many cabinet roles and was a deputy leader of the party. She ran and lost in the 2019 election. After over a decade in office, what was that transition like? Did she have support? Oh, yeah, big support. I had nothing but support. The staff at Parliament were fantastic. And it's complex, right? Can you tell us what it was like to lose your seat? It was fine. Don't worry about me. I knew I was going to lose. I So my husband was diagnosed with young onset Alzheimer's in 2016. I did not put the attention and the effort into the community social events that I should have to win an election. I did not knock doors as much. And the liberal candidate spent two years doing exactly what I was not going to do. I chose not to do it. I chose not to do it. And I'm very comfortable with that decision. And we knew that given the changing demographics, given the influx of people, given the fact that I didn't get out to meet the new people as they came in, I was not going to win. And that's okay. My kids were prepared for it. And I was prepared for it. And as a result, that night was more about consoling the people that worked so hard on the campaign. And that was it. And that's, that was the key. Also, I knew that I would be viewed, I was, that was the first day of looking for a new job. Yeah. So anything I said and did was going to be judged. And I better suck it up, buttercup. And make the best foot forward and do all the media reviews. And anyone asked you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy to talk, happy to talk. Yeah. Grateful for the time. And I was, I was grateful for the time. So I've never been sad about losing. Honestly, never been sad. There were ways in which Lisa needed to adjust from a lifestyle of going full speed around the clock every day of the week to a life after politics. It took me two years, though, to not feel guilty about not working all weekend. I have to tell myself to slow down every day. Yeah. Because for 12 years, I operated at a pace A real cadence, as we would say. Now that I'm in private practice, I love how everyone tells me how busy they are. They're not busy. (laughs) They don't know what busy is. I give my life to my career. No, you didn't. I did. I sacrificed my marriage and my kids' upbringing. You didn't do it. And by the way, you get paid a hell of a lot more than I ever did. Uh, So suck it up, princess. Like I literally say to people when they say, oh, you're, oh, it must be so hard, you know, keeping up this lifetime. I said, I was away from my home 200 days of the year when I was a cabinet minister. I did it 12 years, 12 years, 200 days of the year. I did not sleep in my own bed. That's the one thing I wish Canadians knew, that their MPs, no matter who they are, work hard. Like I now know what a weekend is. Holy mackerel, what a revelation that is. Before, I dreaded Friday because I would have, oh, I don't know, 17 events I'd have to go to and a couple of fundraisers while still doing my work as a minister or as the leader of uh, deputy leader of the opposition or as the justice critic or, you know, whatever. That's the one thing I wish people knew. Slowing down or trying to doesn't mean that it's guaranteed to be a smooth transition. People leaving public life often leave under very traumatic circumstances. That's Scott Bryson, who was first elected to the riding of Kings Hans, Nova Scotia in 1997. He announced he would not seek re-election in 2019. And yeah, if you do the math, he was an MP for 22 years. Public life is, notwithstanding its challenges, is very addictive and hard to leave. And when an awful lot of people leave, 
the field in a body bag or they're airlifted off the field in critical condition. And, and it, it's tough to sort of have the discipline to leave the field on your own steam when things are going fairly well. Scott decided to leave on his own steam, as he calls it. So did Peter Kent, who was a conservative MP for Thornhill, Ontario, from 2008 to 2021. That's when he announced he would not run again. Disengaging from Parliament is complicated. There's a lot of bookkeeping to be done. There's a lot of equipment to be returned. There's the transfer of financial documents and closing of books and ensuring that staff are provided for and whether they have pensions to claim or whether they have new jobs that they might be able to uh, find. When you're wrapping up a political office, you're winding down a team of staff. And if you're a cabinet minister... I shut down three offices at the same time. Here's Lisa Raid again. And, you know, where do you put everything? How do you get it delivered? How do you move out? And you got 30 days to do it. And by the way, you're wondering how you're going to pay mortgage. Because luckily you have a six-month severance, which honestly, without it, I think people would be destitute. Because you're fired overnight. Like that election day, you lose your pay for that day. Wow. That's it. You're cut off. Yeah. So you do need that severance. The other thing I wish people understood is that very few of us get a chance at another career after this. Very few of us. Many are blackballed. Many never get employment again. Can you tell us a story about that? Sure. A guy that I knew, he was a parliamentary secretary. He also chaired a committee. So he had a lot of power. He was well-known. He was well-liked. He thought that he was going to walk into a great job after he lost his seat. Uh, He's had to move to a different province because he was poisonous within his community. Nobody wanted to hire him. Nobody wants to hire the XMP. I, you know, I don't know if I would ever get hired in Milton. I got hired in Toronto. Milton was Lisa's riding. You know, no one wants to tick off the current MP by hiring the XMP. So where did they go? We go into areas that specialize in communications and you try to use those skills because that's all you kind of have left. The high likelihood of very limited prospects after politics. Is that something that's spoken about plainly in the political domain? Yes. And nobody wants to believe it because they're different. I am a very lucky woman. John Baird's a very lucky man. Ronna Ambrose is a lucky woman. You know, and you can see why some people want to go back. Look at how many MPs and ministers end up going into municipal politics. Why? because they're not going to get hired by Suncor. They're not going to get hired to be a CEO anywhere. They may have talent, but they don't have relevant private sector experience. At least I was a CEO and I'm a lawyer, so I'd be able to find something. But still, I'm not a, I'm not a practicing lawyer. I am in the business of client relations, which is what I did as a cabinet minister. Mm-hmm. Our research shows that it's difficult for politicians to transition to a non-political career. It's hard for the community to see them as anything else, even though MPs come from all walks of professional life. I tell people that I started out as as a photographer. This is Romeo Saganash from Abitibi, Bay James, Nunavik EU in Quebec. 
And I tell people I screwed up, became a lawyer, <laughs> and I screwed up even more and became a member of parliament. You gotta love Romeo's sense of humor. I'm sure it came in handy in Ottawa. And now, Romeo's out. Now I can go back to things I like, writing, photography, and so on. In case you think it's retirement bliss for Romeo, he's still working. I get a lot of offers throughout the country, even throughout the world. Costa Rica being the latest. Romeo negotiates treaty agreements for indigenous communities. That's what I enjoy most about uh, this moment now. The work that I'm doing now is most enjoyable because I'm able to decide to what I want to do for how long and so many hours a day, not as many as before. Mm -hmm. So that's just great. Romeo was first elected in 2011 as an NDP MP. By 2019, he knew he wanted to move on. When 2019 was approaching, new elections were coming and people around me in my writing insisted that I run again at least one more time, it was a definite no. It was a definite no. It, the work, the hours, the things that you have to deal with, it takes a toll on your soul and spirit. By that time, by early 2019, I knew that it was a definite no for me and to go back to what I love doing. In 2021, when Adam Vaughn announced he would not seek re-election as a Liberal MP, hyper-partisanship was one factor. The space for conversations was really hard to find in Parliament, and COVID made it even more impossible. It's one of the reasons I left, was I just didn't see a way of that ever coming back. And I didn't see myself comfortable in a take-no-prisoners, beat-the-opposition, constant campaign footing kind of scenario. It just was taking too much out of me psychologically, let alone emotionally. And it was hurting my politics. And I didn't like it anymore. And that's one of the reasons I left. COVID changed the shape of our work lives. Adam was no exception. COVID, I think, hardened a lot of politics. And it made brittle a lot of relationships. And I think it also, it, it put so much distance between the source of an idea and the execution of the idea that people no longer felt or saw or heard their voice in government action. And that, I think, has had consequences coming out of COVID. I think you're seeing not a swing from left and right or good or bad or up and down, but I think what you're seeing is a massive distrust in being told anything. The voters don't like to be instructed on what's going to happen in their life and what's good for them and that. There's a a general sentiment, I think, that's now embedded in the electorate, which is stop telling me what to do. And I will support people that want to get out of my life because I'm tired of everyone being in my life. And when that happens, that kind of radical individualism undermines collective action. And without collective action, you don't have government. And yet we have major problems that need action and major communities that have been underserved through and before, during, and after COVID, there was never a more important time to have politics work. And yet we've created a situation where politics is no longer working. And that's kind of scary and kind of sad and makes me a little happy I'm out of the game, but also a little worried for those that remain.
this is a mid-roll ad, so you might be expecting us to sell you a mattress or some accounting software. Well, listen, we wish you good sleep and fiscal organization, but no, we're not going to sell you anything. This minute is for us, you and me. I'm Hannah, one of the producers of this show, and we want to tell you why we made this podcast. See, the Samara Center for Democracy is on a mission to secure a resilient democracy with an engaged public and responsive institutions. What does that mean? Well, the Samara Center wants to make it easier for you to talk about Canada's democracy and participate in it. So, talk to us. Tell us why you're listening to this show. It's simple to do. I know you've got your phone in your hand right now. Post about Humans of the House and tag us on Instagram and Twitter at the Samara Center. That's at T-H-E-S-A-M-A-R-A-C-E-N-T-R-E. We know why we're doing this work. Tell us why you're listening. Hashtag Humans of the House. Throughout the process of conducting these MP exit interviews, our team began to believe, more strongly than ever, that we need to treat the role of MP as a job, a regular job. Sure, it's a really important job, critical to our democracy, but it's also just a job that needs to be done. For the job to be done well, the workplace needs to be fair, safe, and protected as much as humanly possible. That's why we do these MP exit interviews, to help improve this one specific workplace that is crucial to a functioning democracy. And we've been doing this work for over a decade. We first published key findings in our 2012 book, Tragedy in the Commons, which became a bestseller. In the final pages of the book, the authors looked ahead to now, to this current batch of MP exit interviews that you've been listening to. The authors didn't know who this group of MPs would be, but they had questions. Here's Michael McMillan, one of the co-authors of the book. What will those interviews tell us? We hope the political life of future MPs will have been something they planned and of which they were proud. We hope people talk about what it was like being part of one of the best teams they'd ever been on. So, what do our MPs say? I think the last thing I want to say is, and I know you'll get a wide range of answers to this very question, but I loved my experience. Like, I I wouldn't have changed it for the world. Matt DeCourcy. Yeah, there's some disappointment in the end with it, but I got to go back to Parliament earlier this week for the memorial service of deceased former parliamentarians and sit in the Senate chamber for that. And for the first time, I was like, I've got no resentment at all for any of this. This is just really special to be sitting in this room honoring like, the importance of the service that that these you know, dozens of people who passed away this year offered the country. So that was pretty special. I look back at my time in public life enormously thankful for the opportunity to serve. This is Scott Bryson. Politics should not be a beauty contest in a leper colony. It should be a place where people of experience and accomplishment and character come forward to serve their fellow citizens. I still believe that's what politics 
can be and is. And I still encourage people to run. Someday, I hope at least one of my daughters is interested. I will encourage them because I don't think there's any place where you can make more of a difference than in elected life. What advice would Lisa Wright give? My advice would be, it is worth it. It is worth being an MP, 100%. Just have your eyes wide open when it comes down to what your future prospects are. Fully understand that the life after may not be as easy as you think it is and be prepared for it. Just remember, it's an honor to serve your constituents. The bad side of it is the partisanship. Dialing that down and dialing up the public service side, I think, is the advice that I'd give myself, and that's the advice I'd give anyone who's coming into it. No matter what, there is a place for you. That's Cheryl Hardcastle. Embrace that feeling that you have of hope. We laugh at that sometimes, that's so naive. Have that hope and that optimism about what we can do in our politics. And that way, you'll always have that, that, that passion to be engaged, no matter what level. It's pretty amazing to hear that from our MPs, that despite the insane work hours they've described, despite the real frustration with the tough path to making change, the complicated party politics, and the heartbreak at the end of their tenure, that they still keep a space for optimism. They still say it's worth it, and they are sincere. They still have that passion that started at home in their communities. I started volunteering in different organizations where I had young children and I wanted to be involved. And I saw the need for advocacy in recreational sports. It was hockey, finding primetime ice for girls. That's how it really started. And just talking to other people about these ideas when you want to make changes. If there's a thread of continuity for every MP we've spoken to, it's community. Community is you and your friends, your family, the people you shoot the breeze with. Maybe you organize changes to ice time for girls hockey in your neighborhood, like Cheryl. Maybe you shoveled your neighbor's driveway. You organized rides to the polls. You signed that petition online. That's civic engagement. That's politics. That's where it starts. Harnessing the power that gets created by doing something together. And often, that starts at home. My mom, I told her once, that my only regret in life was not being able to grow up with my dad so that my dad can show me everything he knew. Romeo was taken from his family and put in residential school, which is where he was when his father died. Like he was the most incredible craftsman. Or canoes and that he crafted, the hunter that he was. He was the provider of our family and the provider for community as well because not all were fortunate enough to have a father like him. And I told my mom once, I regret that I'm not, I wasn't able to be that hunter and thereby the provider of my community. And she said, you're wrong. 
you wrong, Nabish. She called me throughout my life, Nabish, which means little boy. <laughs> she still called me till the end of her life, uh, Nabish. She said, you do provide for your community. Do you realize how many agreements that you negotiated on behalf of your people, on behalf of your nation? How many jobs you created on behalf of your people and your nation and your communities? That's providing. Because a lot of families, because of that, were able to put food on the table. That's another kind of providing, but you're doing the same thing as your dad. So I rest that regret now. Doing the work on behalf of your community, on behalf of your nation, as an act of providing, no regrets. By the time Selena Caesar Chavan knew she would not seek re-election, the Liberal Party was going through a very turbulent time with the SNC-Lavalin affair. You heard much of Selena's story in the last episode. She quit the Liberal Party in the spring of 2019 and continued serving the riding of Whitby as an independent until that fall when an election was called. After she left Ottawa, her memoir was published. It's called Can You Hear Me Now? And it's filled with details on the everyday racism she experienced on the job and the toll it took on her health. At some point, you just say, you know what? I'm tired of beating my head against this wall. Yeah, I'm good. I'm out. Selena has been very open with her story about her high hopes of going in with a government that promised to be transformative, but leaving demoralized. And there's a reason she tells this story. Telling my story, writing my story, I, I hope is not one that says this story is so scary and, you know, a nightmare that I won't run. But it's so scary and it's a nightmare. Thank you for telling it so that I'm aware of what can be possible in there, because you did do some great things while you were there. But to have eyes wide open so I don't leave with worse mental health than I got in there with. Understand that I'm going to have to face some challenges, even when you're trying to be friendly, even when you're playing nice in the sandbox, and then make a decision on whether you want to advocate from the outside or do it on the inside. Mm -hmm. And that decision is now mm -hmm. fully informed by at least one other person's experience. Selena shares her story, low points and all, because she has a larger message. I almost want to just read like the last page, a couple just quotes from my book, right? Sure. So uh, this is a letter that I wrote to some of the young women who helped me in the writing and just some young women that I know. I'm going to ask women of all backgrounds to run and run in packs. Get your girlfriends and their girlfriends and run like we have never run before. My experience in politics has demonstrated to me that there is capacity to change political structures from the inside, but only if we are there in numbers. The treatment I received from the leadership in my own party is disappointing and regrettable, and I apologize for leaving before I had an opportunity to make any changes. But I trust that women, especially women of color, and other Black women, who are way stronger and braver than I am, will finish this job. I know that our country will be better for it. And if I could skip to the last paragraph in the acknowledgements, 
of my book, I will say to the people of Canada and beyond, your value is not determined by your title and your leadership does not require a title. The power has always belonged to the people. It is time that the people realize their power. It is not enough to hear my voice. We need to hear you too. So my message is to just show up, to be there, to use your voice, and to change this country and this world for good. We've come to the end of our deep dive into the lives of 12 former MPs. If you've been with us from the start, you've now heard every stage of their civic journey. Our work at the Samara Centre has been a resource for aspiring MPs in the past. Maybe this time, that's you. But we can't deny what our MPs shared has at times been hard to hear. Going into this job can be tough. Leaving can be tough. And the time in between is an immense strain on an MP's mental and physical health. But we don't want to leave you with a bad taste in your mouth, and neither do our former MPs. None of them regret devoting these years to public service. And it's only with new voices and more awareness of these challenges that life in Parliament can evolve. We're facing major threats to our democracy, and moving forward requires trust in each other. It's our hope that drawing on stories like the ones you've heard in this show can help to make Canadian politics better. Thank you for listening. Big thanks to all the former MPs, and thank you for listening to Humans of the House. This podcast is produced by Media Girlfriends for the Samara Centre for Democracy. I'm Sabrina Dellen, Executive Director of the Samara Centre. Executive producers of this podcast are Hannah Sung and Garvia Bailey. Associate producer is Elena Hudgens-Lyle. Research is by manager Dr. Beatrice Wayne and coordinator Vijay Kumar at the Samara Centre. And our sound engineer is Gabby Clark. Theme music was composed by Project Whatever. A special thanks goes to the Canadian Association of Former Parliamentarians. Charlie Feldman, Bill Young, Michael McMillan, Ruth Ostrower, Jennifer Jamblanco, Alex McIsaac, Braylon Guppy, and Anaba Duncan. We are also grateful for funding from Heritage Canada and Rosamond Ivy. The Samara Centre for Democracy is a nonpartisan registered charity. Our mission is to realize a resilient democracy with an engaged public and responsive institutions. To support our work, visit samaracenter.ca and click donate. This podcast is part of the MP Exit Interview Project. To learn more about this work and other research, visit our website and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Samara Centre. If you, like us, care about the human side of politics, help spread the word about our show. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. 
You'd be surprised how much it helps. Tell your friends. And if you teach, share the show with your class. Thank you for listening.